We're going to be in the book of Philippians this morning, Philippians chapter 1. Now, I have a question for you. Have you ever bought something like, you know, maybe a desk or, or a bed for your children or some kind of uh, electronic gizmo or just about anything that you would get from Ikea, and you're very excited about this until you get it home and you realize you've got to put it together, <laughs> which means that you have to engage with this thing called the instructions, and being honest, I'm not good at reading nor following, following instructions. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had to disassemble something that I was assembling because I just assumed something and I skipped a step or there's suddenly a whole bunch of pieces left and it's leaning like this or something. And the worst, the worst is when you get something that is very, very complicated, there's lots of pieces to it, and you know that you need to read the instructions, but the only thing they give you is this really un, unhelpful drawing. And there's just like an arrow pointing to something. I don't know what you're pointing to. I, I, I don't understand this. And, and those of you that... that uh, uh, don't have kids yet, you may not understand this, but our children should, should stand up and cheer for us because of everything that we go through at uh, Christmas or uh, uh, at birthdays, putting together bicycles and Barbie mansions and all these things that we have to put together, right? So we have to have the instructions. But it's worth it when you see your child riding that bike, right? Or it's worth it finally sitting on that futon that took you six or seven hours to put together because you had to take it apart a couple of times and put it back together, right? But what if you were given a very complex gift? Very valuable, but very complex. And it didn't come with instructions. I mean, that could lead to, to some disappointment, Right? It could lead to some frustration even as you're trying to figure out how to use this gift that you've been given. Now, we've been given a gift, right? We've been given a gift. We've been given the gift of salvation. And it's very valuable, but it can be very complex. And thankfully, God did not leave us without the instructions. He gave us his word so we could really begin to engage with who he's created us to be, what he has done for us, because we all know that salvation is not just this moment that I invited Jesus into my life. Yes, that is a moment of salvation. That may have been the moment that you were born again, but Paul said, work out your salvation daily. It's a daily walk of learning who we are and being who we are, right? That's why the Word of God is so vitally important to every believer. And if we don't engage with the instructions, our, our spiritual walk can be a bit frustrating or disappointing. But when we engage with the instructions, we begin to fully understand the things that the Lord has for us. Now, we're starting uh, a new series today on the book of Philippians, and our desire is just to study the instructions together and see what the Lord says about this wonderful gift of salvation. All right, can we agree to that? Yes. 
All right, let me give you just a little bit of background info real quick about Philippians. It's one of three letters that were written to the churches by Paul while he was under house arrest in Rome. Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and they're generally referred to as the pastoral epistles or the prison epistles, I should have said, I'm sorry, the prison epistles. Paul wrote these in the the last years of his life. And the city of Philippi was in Greece. It was in the, the area of Macedonia, and it was built by the Romans. And during the time that Paul was alive, it was a city of about 15,000 people. Philippi is also where Paul and Silas were jailed, and they begin to sing praises to God at midnight, and God shook the prison, and he opened the doors, And the result of it was the jailer and his family coming to faith. So as he's writing to the church at uh, Philippi, he knows these people. He's been there. He's got some history with them. And today we're just going to look at the first chapter of Philippians. And we're going to see a theme here. The theme of joy and thanksgiving. So I'm just simply calling the lesson this morning, Prisoner of Joy. Because Paul was in prison. You got it? Paul was in prison, but he was full of joy. Now, just before we jump into the, the, the word here, I want to give you this. The Greek word translated joy in Philippians means cheerfulness, delight, and gladness. It's not to be confused with happiness. Happiness is an emotion. It can be here one second and gone the next, right? You can have an ice cream in your hand, and I'm so happy about this ice cream. Then you drop the ice cream, and all my happiness is gone, right? But we can be joyful in an unhappy situation because our delight, our joy is in the Lord. So the first thing that I want you to see right here is that we can have joy in prayer. Joy in prayer. Let's read here in Philippians chapter one, starting in verse three. It says, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. I make my request for all of you with joy. Joy in prayer comes when your prayers are not always just about you. As a believer, one of our jobs is to agree with God as we pray for others. And prayer invites God into our situation. And that's why the enemy fights it so hard. That's the reason he twists it. That's the reason he distorts it. Have you ever had the thought or have you ever heard anybody talk about, well, you know, God's in control, so why do I need to pray? Or maybe this one. I prayed one time and God didn't answer my prayer, so I don't believe God answers prayer. The enemy is twisting and distorting. And and here's the place where I probably find myself more often is praying selfish soulish prayers, prayers that are just about me, prayers that go along with what I want. Lord, I pray that you make them see it my way. 
Lord, I pray that you make them do what I want them to do. Instead of finding out what is it, Lord, that you want me to pray. I pray what I want, what I like, what I need, and it becomes about me. So if I don't get what I want, what I think I need, or what I'm praying for, I'm not finding joy in my prayer life, so I just stop praying. You see how the enemy twists that? Well, we need to come to the place where we're praying prayers like, not my will be done, but your will be done. Pray prayers like, Lord, what's best for the kingdom? Not necessarily what's best for me. Not necessarily what's gonna make me happy. Lord, what's best for the kingdom? Because that's what I wanna be found doing. And if we'll be doing his will and not our will, and we're, we're doing things that are best for the kingdom, we're gonna find out that is what's best for us. And there will be joy in it. Because remember, prayer doesn't change God. It changes us. It changes us. Because the more and more we pray about a, a situation, the more and more in tune we get with God on a situation, the more and more we'll find out that we're shifting to the way he thinks. I'm not trying to convince God to shift to the way I think. And we're inviting God into the situation, like I said. John Wesley, who was the man that started the Methodist movement, said, it seems as if God will do nothing except in response to believing prayer. God responds to prayer. So don't sit around and go, why isn't God doing anything? What are you praying about? Well, I prayed about it once. <laughs> I did it once. Parents, how many times have you told your children to do something more than once? More than once, that's right. But you're gonna continue to do it, right? You pray, you pray, you pray, you pray, you hang on, you pray, you pray, you press in, you believe, you pray. When do we stop praying? When you get the answer. Not just throw it up and, you know, here you go, God. Take my prayer. No, we pray. And when we pray like that joy, we will see joy. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. According to Galatians chapter 5. And there it, it lists the first three fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. And we, we usually kind of lump those together, don't we? Love, joy, and peace. But there is no joy in prayer without a heart of love. True prayer comes from love. You hear me? In Luke 6, now everybody say, I'm listening. Your mind's not wandering. This is Jesus speaking. This is not the preacher making it up. This is Jesus speaking. And we all say, oh, I believe what Jesus says. Have you ever run into those people that always say, I believe in the red parts of the Bible. This is in the red part of the Bible, okay? Luke 6, 27. But to you who, who are willing to listen... 
Sometimes we have to admit we haven't been willing to listen. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, this is Jesus saying, this is this, this guy that we say that we follow, who has saved my life, who has changed me. I say, love your enemies. Do good to those that hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Are you willing to listen? Well, that's the part I don't like. I don't like that part right there. People have hurt my feelings. And look, hey, I've been there. Somebody hurts me, I want to hurt them back. This is a place that we come with the Lord. But let me tell you, this is not an emotional love that, that, that Jesus is saying love them with. This is not some ooey-gooey feeling. That, you know, somebody has done something wrong to me, done something bad to me, and I just want to go, give me a hug. I love you. That's not what he's talking about. This is the agape kind of love that's birthed inside of us. It's a benevolent love it, that says... They don't deserve it. They didn't do anything to earn it. But I'm going to love them anyway. Why? Because that's the exact same way that God loves me. I didn't deserve it. I surely didn't earn it. But he loves me anyway. Some of you have, have heard parts of, of this story, but... Um, about 23 years ago, I was unceremoniously excused from the church that I was pastoring. They didn't do it with a whole lot of love and a whole lot of niceness. It was just go, get out. And I was, I, I was, I was angry. I was bitter. And I was on the verge of hatred for the people that had done this to me. I'm going to be real honest. If I had seen them set on fire and I was the only one that could have put them out, they'd be crispy. <laughs> but God started to work on my heart. God started to change some things in, in my heart. What had been done to me was wrong. And I'm not saying anything that has ever been done to you was not wrong. That's not what I'm trying to say. But the Lord began to show me, if I didn't get rid of the bitterness, if I didn't start to let go of these things, all I was ever going to be was a bitter man. And I didn't want to be bitter. So the Lord began to minister to me. And then he had the audacity to tell me there was people I needed to go apologize to. I'm like, are you kidding me? Anybody that had anything to do with that church should line up, come up to me, grovel at my feet, kiss my fanny, and ask my forgiveness. And you're asking me to go apologize to somebody. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Well, let me give you a quick little aside teaching right here. When God has given you a, a, a very clear to-do, when he has told you to do something and you don't want to do it, he doesn't forget about it. <laughs> he doesn't just go, oh, you don't want to do that? Okay, we'll just skip over that one. That's not the way it works. 
He will continue to remind you. Hey, remember that thing we talked about? Remember that thing what we talked about? And even worse, he'll just stop talking. Lord, I come to you, and it's just quiet, just crickets chirping. What's going on, Lord? Did you do what I told you to do? Well, no, I don't want to do that. But after time, I started. I got the list. I started going to see some people. Uh, at least one couple, Lisa and I, had to the house. And I would just apologize to them. I'm sorry that, you know, that I was arrogant, that I was brash, that I was just a dumb kid, that I was not the pastor that you needed me to be. I, I, I apologize. And without fail, they would say, you know, we need to apologize to you. We didn't stand behind you when we should have. We should have done this. We should have done that. And I appreciated that. But we got down to the, the last person on the list. And this is the one I really didn't want to talk to. Now, this was not somebody that helped get me kicked out of the church. This was actually somebody who had, had done me wrong when I was the associate pastor. He, um, he was always just really cold to me and really rude to me and wouldn't have anything to do with me. And then he, he would take things that I had said or done and he would blow it out of proportion to, to make me look bad. And I was doing a good enough job on myself of making myself look bad. I didn't need his help. And I, I, I didn't want to find this guy. And honestly, I didn't even know how to find this guy by this time because it had been several years. But a friend's mother died and we went to the funeral. I'm going to give you one guess who was at the funeral. <laughs> and I, I leaned over to Lisa and I said, do you see who's here? God's going to make me talk to him. <sighs> So after, after the, the service, I saw he and his wife, and they were standing talking to some people that we knew, and I thought, we might as well get this over with. So I just went and, and inserted myself into their conversation. And I could tell the moment that, that I showed up, he started feeling uncomfortable. And after a couple of minutes, he, he turned to walk away, and I just reached out and I grabbed his arm, and I said, we need to talk. And I pulled him aside. And I said, I need to apologize to you because I didn't honor you. I'm doing the same thing. I started tearing up. I said, I didn't honor you when we were at church together. I didn't treat you like an elder because he was a man that was old enough to be my father. I talked about you. I gossiped about you. I said things that were not honoring to you, and I asked you to forgive me. And by that time, he's a big old guy. He started getting a little sniffly himself. And he said, it was never about you. He said, I'd been in that church for years. And I had all but been promised a pastoral position. And when one came open, here you came in. They hired you. He said, it was jealousy. He said, I felt like you had my job. And I did everything I could to make you look like they made a wrong decision. And we hugged each other. And we prayed for each other. And it was a prayer of joy. But I'm telling you that God healed something in my heart in that moment. I truly believe if I had not been faithful to do what the Lord had said to do in that moment, I would not be standing here today because I would still be dealing with the bitterness of something that happened to me 23 years ago. 
But God gave me joy, even in a situation that didn't bring me happiness. When we receive joy in prayer, it's birthed in love, and it gives us peace to partner with God. There in verse 5 of Philippians 1, it says, For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard about it until now. Just like in that situation, I was partnering with God to bless somebody who had hurt me. If you say that you're a Christian, then it is your job. It is our job to spread the good news. What's the good news? Here's the good news. And we all heard it at one time. When we, when, when we reached and grabbed for Jesus, that no matter how far that we think that we are, no matter how far we feel like we've fallen away, there is always a path to the Father because of the sacrifice of Jesus. That's good news. That is good news. But the only way that people or unbelievers or people outside of the church are ever going to hear the good news is if we tell them with our mouths, with our actions, and with our attitudes. Let me just tell you, if the words coming out of your mouth do not line up with godly actions and attitudes, your words mean nothing. You can say all day long, God loves you, Jesus loves you. He loves you so much. But if your attitude, when they cross you, or when you find out they didn't vote for the same person you voted for, if your attitude and your actions do not back up the words that you are saying, we are doing a disservice to the gospel, to the good news. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm going to read this out of the Passion Translation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself. We've been reconciled to God. And lots of people want to stop right there. I've been reconciled to God. I got what I needed. But that's not the end of the scripture. Not only, not only has he reconciled us to himself, but has given us. Who's us? Us. All of us. You're sitting in here, you're an us. Has given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world. 
Now listen to this. Not even keeping record of their transgressions. If God's not keeping record of their transgressions, why do we sometimes keep record of transgressions? And he is entrusted. You have been trusted. Not just me, not just Pastor Sam, not just Pastor Roger. You. He has entrusted us with the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. Through our words, through our actions, through our attitudes, are we opening doors or are we closing doors? Are we reconciling people to God or are we keeping people away from God? Are we holding people's transgressions against them? Because some people wear it like a billboard. I'm a sinner and I'm good at it. Ha, 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 ha. But do we see them as God sees them? Do we see them as somebody that Jesus has already shed his blood for? Somebody that Jesus has already brought forgiveness for. Now all they need to know is, is that it's there for you. Or do we look at them like, hmm, they don't belong in church. They don't belong here. Those type of people don't belong here. Well, if those type of people don't belong here, none of us belong here. Because we're all those kind of people. We all got a history. We all got issues. We all got things we have to overcome. We all have things that the Lord is working in us and through us. And the moment that you think you've got a leg up on somebody is the moment that the enemy has lied to you. All have sinned and come short. All have sinned. Just like all of us got a ministry of reconciliation because all of us have sinned. All of us. Joy comes when we pray for others. Joy comes when we pray with a heart of love. Love comes when we know that we've got a ministry of opening the door of reconciliation. I'm not doing a good job of cramming my hour into 30 minutes. <laughs> so we're going to blow through this last part, okay? Here's the second thing I want to show you, and I only have two, two, uh, two points this morning. Not only is there joy in prayer, but there's joy in the process. Joy in the process. Verse 6, Philippians 1. And I am certain that that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now, let me say this right here. It, it could be written a little bit differently, not just when the day Christ Jesus returns or on the day that we see Jesus. You're either going to see him here or you're going to see him there. You understand what I'm saying? You're either going there or he's coming here to get you. All right. So in other words, this Jesus adventure that we're on is a lifetime journey. When you get to the place you think you know it all, you've done it all, we've got it all together, you have missed it. So we need to find joy in the process. 
And here's another little thing. We always use this verse right here. He who began a good work in me, he's faithful to complete it. We always make this verse about us. Well, read it in context. What did he say in verse five? In verse five, he said, you're a partner in in the gospel. You're a partner in the good news and that God will keep working on that in you until the day you go see him. Yes, there's good things that he's doing in you, but the reason he's doing these good things in you is so you can be his partner in ministry. He continues to work on us. He convinces us of who we are through Christ. And that won't be completed until we are with him. Listen to this. To the degree that we allow him to do that good work of creating Jesus in me, to the degree that we allow that good work is the degree that we will receive spiritual freedom and be effective in the ministry that he's called us to. But we'll not have joy in the process or joy in prayer until we begin to understand who we are in Christ. When I begin to understand that I was a son and not a slave or a peasant, I begin to respond to God as a loving father and not some distant entity that was always disappointed with me. My prayers went from just begging God to move to knowing that my father was already moving and that he was allowing me to partner with him. And because I begin to understand Ephesians 1.3 that says he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, I have an expectation of being spiritually blessed. So with joy, I bless others. But that was not an overnight journey. And honestly, sometimes I'm still not there. I can definitely waffle between being a bold son in the kingdom and groveling as a slave. But the closer that I draw to the Lord, the more I recognize who, is, who he's created me to be. Now back to verse 9. We're going to finish up here pretty quick. Verse 9, Philippians 1, 9. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. The Lord wants you to understand what really matters so that you will live a pure and blameless life until the day of Christ's return. We need to keep growing in knowledge and understanding of who we are in Christ Jesus. And the way that we do that is by engaging with the instructions. That's the most basic way to do it. Engaging with the instructions. Engaging with the word of God. Because the word of God can be like a mirror to us. It's a reality check at times. Have you ever walked past a mirror and been absolutely sure that, uh, that, that your hair was in perfect place and you walked in and your hair's going everywhere? Or you've been sitting at a restaurant and you've been talking to somebody and you go in the bathroom and you realize that there's all kinds of things hanging in your teeth? <laughs> 
It's a reality check. It's a mirror, but it's not there to discourage us. It's there to empower us to keep growing. Michelangelo was a celebrated artist in the 1400s. And there's a story about how he was once seen bringing this huge block of marble into his studio. Then he closed the doors. Nobody saw him for weeks until he swung open the doors. And there was this magnificent, this beautiful sculpture of an angel. And somebody said, Michelangelo, how did you create such beauty from just a big hunk of stone? And he said, I saw the angel in the stone. And I chipped and I worked and I polished until I freed him. Sometimes we think we're nothing more than a worthless hunk of stone, but God is polishing and he's chipping away because he sees the masterpiece that's inside of us. Even when we don't see it. Here's the last two, last two verses. We only made it through like verse 10 there, but there's a couple more I just want to highlight real quickly. First one is verse 20, Philippians 1.20. It says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. Let me just tell you, it's not anger, it's not self-righteousness, it's not judgment that makes you bold. Joy makes you bold. Joy makes you bold. And you can share that from your transformed life. And last scripture, verse 27. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Act like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Err on the side of love and grace. Draw people to him, not push people away from him. When we're operating in joy and love, oh, this is going to irritate some of you, but I'm so sorry. When you're operating from love and joy, you can pray in joy for a government that you didn't vote for. I'm not praying for those people. This was already in my notes before we know anything, so I'm not praying. In the instruction book, we're told to pray for those who are in leadership. In the instruction book, we have examples of God moving on even the most wicked of kings. I don't care who got elected. We still need to pray for them, and we still need to believe the best. We still need to ask God to move. Unless you live and die by a donkey or a, an elephant, I don't live and die by that. I live and die by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's who I serve. Not a man on Pennsylvania Avenue. Whoever it was going to be. So let's act like Jesus. Let's love like Jesus. Here's my last story and I'm done. Uh, there was a young man who wanted to grow stronger in his relationship with God. So he got out a piece of paper 
And he began to write this long list of all the things that he was going to do for God in his life. And he took that, that piece of paper with him and he came to church. And during a time of worship, he brought it up here and he laid it on the altar as a sacrifice to God. And he expected for there to be this rush of joy just come through his body. But he felt nothing. So he took his piece of paper and he went back home. And he began to add to his list. But this time he's writing things he would not do. So now he had a long list of things he was going to do, things he was not going to do. And he brought it back to church. And he laid it up on the altar again. Still no joy. So he went to talk to his pastor. And the pastor gave him very sound counsel. He said, take a piece of paper, sign your name to it, and put that on the altar. Because what God wants is you, not a list of do's and don'ts. Do we have the heart to simply come to God and say, I'm yours? Use me as you please. Not my will, but your will be done. Paul was physically a prisoner, yet he had joy because he was spiritually free. How many people are physically free but have no joy because they're spiritually in prison? What do I want you to know? There is joy available even in tough situations. What do I want you to feel? I want you to feel joyful. Not stressed, not abandoned, not forgotten, not overwhelmed, but joyful. And what do I want you to do? I want you to find joy in the process. Knowing that you're called to partner with Jesus in the good news. And since we're looking at the Word of God and we're saying that it's a mirror, what's the Holy Spirit showing you? When you look into the mirror, what's God showing you? Because we all got a little spinach in our teeth. Our hair's messed up a little bit somewhere. The Holy Spirit is continually working on us. Remember that good work? That good work that's not going to be finished. He's going to continue to work on it until we see him. It's a journey. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you for the good things that are in your word. Lord, I thank you that there is joy as we follow you. Lord, there is joy even when you're working on deep places in our lives. Lord, there's joy even when you touch that tender spot that I really didn't want you to touch. I really didn't want you to deal with that right now, Lord. But I thank you that you love us so much that you refuse to allow tragedy that has happened to us to become our identity. 
Our identity is in you. Our identity is in who we are through Christ Jesus. And the more and more that we know that, Lord, the more and more we partner with you to see people connected to you. The more and more we recognize that we've been reconciled. The more and more we dive into that place of seeing other people reconciled. Whether they've never known you, whether they've walked away from you, whether they're living in hurt. Lord, we want to see them reconciled. So use us. Holy Spirit, right now, show, show us. Show us a place in our heart. Show us a place in our heart that you want to heal. A place in our heart that you want to bring love, joy, and peace to. And Lord, with all the boldness that we have, even though we've, we've, we've held it for a while, Lord, we're going to release it. We're going to let go of it. Take it, Lord. Take it. This is not me anymore. This is something that happened to me. But Lord, I refuse to live in bitterness and hatred. I want to live in joy, the joy of the Lord. Lord, make us effective. Make us effective in the kingdom for you, for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.